Today on Stick to Football, me and Melo go through week one of the college football season. We also go through all the crazy trades that happen over Labor Day. I'm trying to get my vacation on and trades are blowing my phone up. It's going to be a loaded show plus the return of $100 handshakes. Very exciting show. I'm super excited that we get to talk about college football. And then right before the NFL season is supposed to take off, they just go ahead and up and change almost every roster in the NFL. It's going to be a great show. I was like, oh, let me track the roster moves. Like, you know what? No, Tuesday, I'll just get on and like memorize the depth charts because there's no way. Too many people are getting cut. Too many moves are happening. So no, I'm just not. I'm not going to memorize it because it's just I'm doing myself a disservice by taking this brain power and applying it to shit that is just going to change. So just wait till that Madden update. Get right. all those players on there. It'll Get in there playing it. Let's just start there with the trade that started everything. Jadevian Clowney says no to the Miami Dolphins. He says, I'm not going there. I'm not playing. So the Seattle Seahawks. And John Schneider's just a genius. Swoops in and says, hey, uh, we'll take Clowney. The Houston Texans trade him basically for a bag of peanuts, a third-round pick, and then uh, two throwaway players. Barkevius Mingo, Jacob Martin. Uh, not much to get excited about in this trade, but now Clowney is a member of the Seattle Seahawks. This is huge news for them. Uh, a defensive line that has been a little banged up. LJ Collier's been hurt. Jerron Reed is suspended. Your guy Puna Ford is absolutely amazing. I think this makes Seattle a team that you know can potentially compete with the Rams, with the Niners. I'm not worried about the Cardinals, but the Seahawks, when they were great in the past, it was a strong defense. Now they basically get a one-year rental with Jadevian Clowney. Yeah, and it seems like the Texans are going to still pay a lot of that money, so they're not really out on that either. That's amazing. They've promised not to franchise tag him, so I do think you're right. This is probably a one-year rental. Maybe at the end of the season they talk about bringing him back and kind of seeing what he does this year. Uh, I'm very excited for my guy Puna Ford because once this D-line is healthy, it's going to be nasty. And I think they are gearing up to try to compete with the Rams, try to knock them off the top spot in the West. Uh, I like the deal, especially for the Seahawks. Um, thankfully for Houston, they weren't done making moves because they were being roasted Saturday morning. I was killing morning. them. I was killing them. We were doing local radio, and I'm just trashing every move they make. I do want to stay on Seattle for one second because I think a lot of people saw this move, and there were two reactions, which is this is the 21st century. It's either he's not that good or it's, oh, my God, they're going to win a Super Bowl. I think he's really, really good. I think he finally breaks the 10-sack barrier this year. But I will also say, I look at Seattle, I still worry about the offensive line outside of Dwayne Brown. I'm shocked, however, that they didn't have to trade any of their offensive linemen to Houston to get Clowney. Uh, another thing, I think outside, I, I, really, I think receiver, they're pretty weak. You know, DK Metcalf uh, banged up, Tyler Lockett. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to be the guy with Doug Baldwin retiring. Someone has to step up at wide receiver. And then I will say their secondary is also not much to write home about in that secondary. Now, there's some solid players, but this is not Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas back there. I mean, you're looking at, you know, Trey Flowers and then Nickel, Tedrick Thompson. I, I do like the potential of, of Shaquille Griffin. I, I do like some of the guys back there, but there's not like, there's not an ass kicker in that secondary uh, among the healthy players. So I, I think while this is exciting for Seattle, let's like not get too excited and start saying, oh, playoffs. I agree with you, and that's why I said they're trying to compete with the Rams because there are still a lot of question marks. I mean, I think running back is still kind of a question. Carson came in last year and did a very good job. So we'll see if he can duplicate that this year. And then with what they have at receiver, I mean, Russell Wilson is going to have his hands full this year. He's going to have to carry this team once again. Thankfully, if you're a Seahawks fan, he has done that for multiple years now. You mentioned one more trade. The Houston Texans were not done. They get rid of Jadevian Clowney. They bring in. And I was, again, I was killing them. I was like, this is why you need a GM. Well, here's what they do. They go out and they trade for Kenny Stills 
a, a very good, consistent wide receiver who will be great for them if Will Fuller can't stay healthy. He's going to be a good compliment to New Hopkins. They also get Laramie Tunsil in this deal. I said it on last week's show. I believe it was the Friday show. I think Laramie Tunsil is the best young left tackle in football. I think it's just a matter of time before he's the best left tackle in football. So they add these two really solid players. Now, the Texans paid a lot to get this done. They send a 2020 first, a 2021 first and second offense to tackle Julian Davenport, who's really a developmental guy, and then a corner, Johnson Batamosi. Now, here's where... I will say that Houston still fucked up. They did not get any kind of contract done with Laramie Tunsil beforehand. You remember when Khalil Mack got traded to Chicago, a contract was done beforehand. Now Laramie Tunsil can basically walk into the non-existent Texans GM office and say, he can say, I want $30 million a year. You just traded three premium picks for him. What are you going to say? You, and they you can't say no. More than what? Uh, the Bears did for Cleo Mack. Like, yes. that's the, I like Tunsil a lot too, and I think we're all in consensus on this show that he is going to be one of the top prospects or top tackles in the National Football League next year. But that is a lot to give up for one guy, two first and a second. Uh, and you're right, if he walks, how the hell are you going to replace him? You don't have first round picks. Uh, the Dolphins, they have a ton of picks now. It looks like they will be able to get almost anybody they want in the draft. Um, your mock draft that came out yesterday, I know a lot of people think maybe the Dolphins are going to target a quarterback. They might not even have to move up to do it. Right? The Dolphins are loaded with picks, and that's the other side of the coin here. They are expected to have the number one pick in the draft if you use Las Vegas Super Bowl odds and flip them, which is what I do for mock drafts. And now they're going to have all these picks from Houston. So this does kind of remind me, we've seen teams in the past, you remember Philadelphia, you know, they really positioned themselves well the year before Jared Goff and Carson Wentz to where they would be able to move up and not, you're still going to have to pay a lot, but they positioned themselves where it was affordable because they had the picks to do it. I know a lot of people look at Miami and say, this team is tanking. You are right. This team is tanking. They're going full Cleveland Browns here, Sashi Brown style, trading off their best assets for draft picks. I do understand it to a degree because you have to, we've said it before, I think you just said it a couple shows ago, to get a great quarterback, you have to sell out, basically. You have to you know, be in this situation where you can trade up to get the number one guy, or you have to lose out to get the number one guy. I guess my big thing is you can have all the picks in the world. You still have to hit on those picks. Right. We saw it with the Cleveland Browns. They had all right. the picks in the world, but they missed on a lot of those guys. So Miami's going to have to do something different there. I, I really don't understand the Josh Rosen situation with them. Why give up? Was it a second round pick? Late two. Yeah. A late two to bring in a guy and then tank and not even start him. I, I don't get it at all. Now, if you don't want to play the guy, whatever, if he hasn't earned his spot, fine. But you gave up a second round pick for this guy. You might as well just see what you have with him. Uh, it seemed like maybe they didn't have a plan in place for him or maybe they let the you know, people on Twitter kind of dictate what they were doing. But I don't understand bringing him in for a second round pick and then trying to stash all these other picks. Have maybe seen- they just really disappointed in what they saw with him. That's a possibility. Have you seen the conspiracy theorists who are like, well, they're obviously just sitting him for the year because they know he's the future and they don't want him to get his ass kicked. That's that's like deep, deep thinking. It is. And that's not generally what they do in the NFL. It's more likely, it's like what you said, that they traded for a guy based on what they thought of him pre-draft or what the general consensus was pre-draft. And then they get him in the building and they're like, no, like this... 
This isn't good enough. Deshaun Kaiser just got cut. The Green Bay Packers cut Deshaun Kaiser. He's now, um, he landed with the Raiders in the waiver wire. Deshaun Kaiser is one of those guys too, where it's like, oh no, he was a second round draft pick. He's got to be good. <laughs> Mike Mayock had him. I think he's his QB1. He's got to be good. Well, now he's Mike Mayock's QB4 on the depth chart in Oakland. So uh, it's just, I, I think we're also like everyone wants Josh Rosen to be really good right now. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. A couple of guys who I feel like an important part of our job as analysts, and Connor's not on the show tonight. He's still a bachelor partner it up. I'm sure we'll talk about this on the Wednesday show. But something that I pride ourselves on, on Stick to Football, is when we miss, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to tell you why we missed. And two players who were favorites of a couple of the hosts on the show got cut over the weekend. Ja'Kai Polite got cut. Connor loved him. Malik Jefferson got cut. I loved him. So we have a situation where two guys on defense who are... Um, they were potential picks. Neither panned out. Malik Jefferson, if you can't make the Bengals with how bad that linebacker core is, yeah. that's not a good sign. That's what Andrew Harbaugh asked me, too. He's like, what should I expect from Malik Jefferson? I was like, just go take a look at the Bengals' depth chart at linebacker. And I think the difference with Malik Jefferson is that he was a good character guy, and he just he battled through a lot of injuries, never really found that spot on the field. And I really don't know what role he plays. The guy... Super athlete, he cannot get off blocks. He cannot do it. He's, he couldn't he doesn't do it really instincts. Right. He's. I mean, he's fast. He can recover, but he doesn't have the instincts. He can't get off blocks. There are a lot of liabilities to his game. So that results. I'll be in surprised you cut. if he makes the Browns. Like they have depth. Yeah. Mac Wilson has looked great. They drafted Taki Taki in the third. Mm-hmm. They have Avery Schobert and Kirksey who are really good. You're going to keep six linebackers. Like I'll be a little surprised. I know he's on the 53 right now. I'll be surprised if Malik Jefferson makes it. On Ja'Kai Polite, um, I can't say I'm surprised. This is a conversation that the three of us actually had in Vegas. I think our former intern, Walker, was with us, where I, I told Connor, like, hey, I'm, I read a report. Uh, Rich Semini had it, and then I started asking around. Rich Semini actually said on ESPN, like, this guy might not make the team. And that surprised me so much that I, I started texting people, like, what the hell? Like, what is going on here? And basically what I was telling you guys is more the same. This dude who was, uh, when he was back at Florida, I, I, I told this story before, the first words in my scouting report for him were character problems. Mm-hmm. And it came out today that over $100,000 in fines for being late and missing workouts and meetings. He has only been on the team for four months. Yeah, how do you do that in one off season? Like that's like people that hold out don't get fined that much money. And to do it as a rookie, as a third round pick, um, I know that we've heard that the draft process is it's very hard on these guys uh, with what they have to go through with the interviews and everything like that. But to not be able to get on the field and get to the meetings once you you've been drafted and you're on a team like he had a lot of potential. Uh, but to get cut, I mean, him falling to the third round and then getting cut off the Jets. There's a lot going on. For, and I haven't heard. Has he been picked up by any other he team? He has not. Like I, I'm looking. I can't find any information about it. So. I mean, and that kind of makes sense because you wouldn't want to pay him that third round contract with all the, especially now, you know, like, nope, because you're not coming to meetings and stuff. Um, and Connor's not the only one who missed on this. I had him at 52 overall, um, compared him to Harold Landry. I liked the player. I hated the workout. He ran a 484 at the combine. And I, I was just really worried about him. Isn't it kind of interesting how many former Florida guys we've seen cut recently who just like Duke Dawson gets traded. He was a second round pick. T Tabor gets cut. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a lot of these Florida guys we all loved have not. Marcus May hasn't panned out. He's been hurt, but he hasn't been great. Yeah, and the other corner. Vernon Hargrave sucks. Quincy Wilson. 
I mean, if it weren't he for might him, be the best like, one. And he, but he even came on this show and said, like, I had to get my shit together because if I wouldn't, if it wasn't for I Joe been Hayden, out of the league. Keanu Neal's good at safety. Joe Hayden is very good. He just got paid too. So they do have a lot of good players. But recently, there's like in the McIlwain era. Is that where all these guys came from? Where yeah. they were recruited with? It just it didn't work out. And I think every Florida fan knows that. Yeah, they absolutely do, man. It's been it's been wild. And hey, one reminder because it's game week for us at Stick to Football. We will be in Austin, Texas, Texas versus LSU this coming weekend. You can find us. We will be doing the podcast live. We will be set up from two thirty to around five thirty, five to five thirty at Pluckers on Rio Grande. We will be doing the podcast at three p.m. Central Time. So come out to Pluckers. We have the whole patio reserved. So come hang out with us. Have some beers, have some wings. We're going to be watching the afternoon games before we go to the Texas LSU game. So we're looking forward to seeing everybody out there. We'll have some swag to give away. So definitely put it on your Google Calendar. Make sure we see you at Pluckers this weekend. College football week one is in the books. Well, almost because we're recording this Monday afternoon. The Monday night game has not been played yet, but we have a pretty good look at what happened week one. We're going to run back through it, Mello. Let's start with the Thursday night game that you had to stream on Reddit unless you're paying $100 for the ACC network. Nobody's doing that. I am. I didn't even know it. I have the ACC network. Really? I don't. Don't know how. Uh, Clemson, Georgia Tech. Our guy, T-Law, struggled a little bit. Football Jesus got exercised. He did. It was a rough game to watch this team. And ironically, like the rest of them were great. You look at Travis Etienne, he really he carried this game again. 200 yards, three touchdowns, looked amazing after an early fumble. But you have to talk about how bad Trevor Lawrence struggled because he, he really did not look good. Two interceptions in this game, goes 13 of 23 doesn't even throw for 200 yards. It didn't look good. It looked like he was going out there trying to make every throw perfect instead of just getting the ball to his playmakers. Throwing the interceptions, not great. Thankfully, Clemson is still able to be very good on offense. 52-14 to is the final score here. But Trevor Lawrence did struggle quite a bit in this game. I, I want to see what he can do because next week they have Texas A&M, and he's not going to be able to have those same struggles against Texas A&M as he did Georgia Tech. Right, and A&M guys are already calling out saying they're going to win. One of their offensive linemen, I think, right. predicted a, a victory. I was surprised by Trevor Lawrence. It's ironic because we did talk about this last week where I was like, God, everyone's going to overreact the first time he throws a bad ball. We threw a couple really bad balls. I want to applaud folks on Twitter, I really didn't see a whole lot of, oh my God, this kid sucks. Yeah, I think most of it was probably coming from me. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> probably was. So, if it was on Twitter, it was my fault. He needs a bounce back game. Travis Etienne, though, my goodness, this young man just continues to be good. He looks good with the added weight. I was worried, like, guys bulk up. You're always worried they're going to lose a little bit of speed. He did not uh, lose any speed. Still looks really, really good. So Clemson, like you said, 52-14, they're going to be great. Oklahoma versus Houston, the Sunday night game. I I talked a lot of shit. It was like, oh, man, like, I would keep an eye on Houston. I think they could, you know, at least surprise some people. They did cover the spread, which is most important, I think, to all of us. But um, Jalen Hurts, some bitch. Wow. Dude was amazing. I mean, he. it's like you know that Lincoln Riley is going to make players better, but to the extent that he makes players better is not fair. Now, huge, gigantic asterisk because this is Houston and they do not play defense, but Jalen Hurts carved this team to pieces through the air, on the ground. He counted for six touchdowns, set a fucking record for most yards at Oklahoma for a first-time player, which is pretty good. They play good football there. I mean, and I saw today, he's now a 3-1 to one favorite to win the Heisman. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it completely makes sense. That's why all offseason I've said, don't count this guy out. I did. Uh, just because that he came from Alabama where they the offense was a little bit different. Lincoln Riley is a genius, and I really do think um, if I had money to put down on it right now, I would probably do Jalen Hurts for the Heisman. I think that we're going to see the three-peat. Now, him going 20 of 23 and passing was amazing. The way that they're using him on design runs and the athletes that they have to they've, get the ball to. Grant Calcaterra. field down yeah. so much for him. It's like, oh, he had field vision problems at Alabama? <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, it's okay. We're going to give you two reads. If they're not you're open, gonna throw run. To a, not even a, a side. You see a lot of offenses like, okay, you're throwing right hash or left hash. For him, it's like you're throwing to a quadrant. Like yeah. right here, there's going to be two reads in this little square. You're going to throw it there. It's it's phenomenal. Lincoln Riley should be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, somebody has to pay this man. I, I mean, Jerry Jones needs to go to him at the end of the season, if not before, and just say, what is it going to take? What are the dollar amounts? How many years do you want? What's it going to take to get you here in Dallas? Yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, and also, Kenneth Murray on the defensive side of things was everywhere and he had a couple games like this last year where he was getting into the 20 tackle numbers Mm -hmm. and you're like oh looks really good but you know like with Malik Jefferson is he really getting off blocks or is he just good playing in space he was everywhere for this Oklahoma defense yeah he did a great job they even shadowed Derek King with him often and he was able to keep up with him which really amazed me. I did not expect I mean he had 155 tackles last year so I knew that the tackle numbers were going to be up there but him showing that speed that he has Really impressed me being able to get sideline to sideline. And like I said, shadowing Derek King, nobody was able to do it last year. And then Kenneth Murray does it. I think the one struggle is that Houston still put up 31 points and that offense wasn't running very smoothly. Uh, Derek King missed a lot of throws. I think he had some alleys to run that he didn't take. Uh, but Houston's still able to put up 31 points on Oklahoma, who looked almost unstoppable on offense. Yeah, they absolutely did, dude. All right, Ohio State at FAU. This was a game, the first half, Ohio State could not be stopped. Well, excuse me, the first quarter and a half, Ohio right. State could not be stopped. Then they kind of got bogged down. This isn't like a tale of two halves in this game because Justin Fields, could do nothing wrong in the first 18, 19 minutes of this game. But then it, like they, it was almost they hit cruise control. They're like, ah, yeah, we've won. They put 28 points up in the first quarter. And then after that, uh, kind of struggled. I mean, seven points in the third quarter, 10 points in the fourth quarter. But something happened there. I, they might have taken their foot off the gas, but... In that first quarter, it looked amazing. I think that's just a glimpse of what we can see with Justin Fields. We've talked about it time and time again. He's the perfect fit for what Ryan Day wants to do. And he was able to show off his arm, too, throwing for four touchdowns and 234 yards. I think that's the big takeaway from this game and with Justin Fields because he didn't get to show that off very often at Georgia in the short amount of time he was on the field. So now we know that he can run the ball. That was a given. But being able to complete passes to these big receivers all over the field really looked impressive, even though it was FAU who you know probably doesn't have a great defense. He was still able to fit some balls and some windows that, that looked good for a week one starter. It did for a week one starter. I, I was most encouraged by, and we kind of talked about the same thing with Jalen Hurts, some of the things Justin Fields did not do well at Georgia or some of the things you heard he didn't do well at Georgia, they're just not going to ask him to do that at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. It's it's very Belichickian of, hey, what do you do well? Okay, let's go do that. Like, we're going to design a system for what you do well. That's why I love Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day because I, I think that's what college football needs. You need guys. And I, I'll give Tom Herman some credit. 
at Texas. I think he did this with Sam Ellinger. Okay, this is what you do well. We're going to make it work. Yeah. And that's what you have to do with the limited hours that these guys have. You know, transfer portal is shaking everything up. So Justin Fields was truly unstoppable. I, I do want to see what they do in a game where they maybe have to keep the foot on the gas a little bit more than they did against FAU. They'll have Cincinnati next week, which isn't a That's great That's going to be a good game. But we saw their defense do pretty well against an athletic quarterback in UCLA. So that'll give a better look than I think what FAU was. This wasn't on the rundown, but I, I don't care. It, there is no more overrated coach in all of America than Chip Kelly. You can <laughs> soccer, basketball, baseball, hockey, NASCAR, figure skating, field hockey, all of it. There is no more overrated coach than Chip Kelly. He was good at Oregon and got like flash in the pan in the NFL with the Eagles, ruined my fucking Niners. And like you can't beat Cincinnati. You were UCLA. That LA stands for Los Angeles. Southern California is loaded with college football talent. You play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> How can you? Chip Kelly is the worst. And I am sorry for UCLA fans because y'all deserve better. Like I, I love. Like the UCLA colors are great. The uniforms are clean. Like this should be a good school. And your dumbass AD hired Chip Kelly. I'm sorry, guys. Who took a, a little while off and then came back to uh, coaching. It's just, it looks like it's not going to work early. Last year was a struggle as well. And then coming in this year, not being able to beat Cincinnati is, I think, something that you have to do if you were at UCLA. They're also just soft. Mm -hmm. They're so soft. It's just, it's not fun to watch. Okay, moving on. Oklahoma State, Oregon State. You asked me to specifically put this one on the rundown, even though like neither team's top 25. No, they're not. But Oklahoma State has two very good young players. Uh, we see Spencer Sander take over that starting spot. They didn't talk about this guy um, almost at all over the offseason, but I wanted to make sure we mentioned him because I think he's going to be uh, one hell of an athlete. And he showed it against Oregon State, which was a really good football team. And then Chuba Hubbard, the running back, what he was able to do. Those two guys put up a great performance. I know that we talk about Tylen Wallace all the time and what they can do. I think Oklahoma is looking Pretty scary early, and I just wanted to make sure we got a mention of those two guys because they both went off this weekend uh, with Mike Gundy in that offense, and it looks like they're going to be very hard to stop in the Big 12. 52-36. Not bad. Those are a lot of points. Not If you were wondering. bad. The big game uh, from Saturday, or at least the one that I know I was most excited to watch, uh, was Oregon-Auburn. We talked a lot about this one. We're going to get to see a good test for Justin Herbert on the road. In Arlington, Texas, in Jerry World, we're going to get to see a great test for a freshman and Bo Nix. We're going to get great to see this Auburn D-line with Nick Coe and Derek Brown against an Oregon offensive line that's one of the best units in the country. The game lived up to the hype. Oregon looked hot early. I mean, it was 21-13 to 13 at the end of the third quarter. And then Auburn put it on. Bo Nix settled down. Um, Whitlow for Auburn it was amazing. Dude was just uh, so tough to tackle, so explosive. And Oregon, as they as they do, they folded. Mm -hmm. it, when this game got physical, Oregon said, "Ah, I don't want any of it." Like, and you could just see Auburn getting the ball to big running backs, getting the ball to physical receivers. It was a lot of yards after contact. Oregon shriveled up in the moment. Yeah, and I think you have to say Oregon specifically because a lot of people were hating on Justin Herbert for this game. And I haven't been his biggest supporter, but I thought that he did all that he could do in this game. They were missing five of their starting receivers uh, due to injury. So that's tough to do. 
Uh, the running game, they never really got it a chance. I, I thought Verdell did a good job. Auburn was just too much on that defensive line. Derek Brown, you got to highlight him because he had an amazing game. Yes. If he wasn't in there making tackles, he was at least disrupting plays and changing where the line of scrimmage was. They played him at nose tackle. They played him in the three tech. They played him all over, and he was one of the guys that I have in my stock up uh, because if you can handle that Oregon offensive line, who I still think is the best offensive line in the country then your stock has to go up because he proved that he could handle you know even the best guys with you know Hanson there at center and then the other the guards that they have at Oregon that's a very impressive group and he had one hell of a game yeah and I'm glad you said that about Justin Herbert because um, I I don't think I've been a huge supporter of his I I like Tua better Um, I I do think Herbert has some strengths to his game and you, you really saw that in the first half like his arm talent was on display you know even when he wasn't able to set his feet because of Derek Brown basically living in his his face Herbert was able to still execute and make some throws down the field off platform not on schedule and that was encouraging I, I did think that and I don't know how much of this is him and how much of this is the play calling it felt like he got timid or the play calling got timid late in this game so that's something that you know as we get through the process try to go back and figure out okay who was this on? And especially once we get the game tape of this to, to try to break that down and figure out, okay, who we who we pointing the finger at on this one, basically, because I do think that it could have been a lot, lot better performance from Oregon with the way they came out. My goodness, I can't talk. One thing that I do want to point out, because I watched this game closely, and he said, I haven't broken down the film yet. Troy Dye was credited with 15 tackles. I did not see him make one of those going forward. Yeah, it's I, all chase down the field from him. He's, he's a good athlete. He's a he's big long. guy too. Six yeah. four, like two forty. I wanted to see him get in the mix with some of these Auburn guys and what they can do. But you're right; a lot of those tackles were not coming forward. He was chasing down players and you know, making those tackles a little bit too far downfield. Yep, I absolutely agree. I'm looking forward to week two, Mellon. We come back. We're going to hand out those coveted hundred dollar handshakes. If you're new to stick to football over the off season, welcome, number one. Number two, there are some segments that we do quite regularly throughout college football. One of my favorites, I think it's because I came up with it, it's called $100 Handshakes. Uh, one of our former coworkers, Chris Sims, uh, almost got our school in trouble once telling a story about how he used to get $100 handshakes after the game from Boosters. And this is just the perfect segment name. This is how we hand out weekly thank yous or acknowledgments to players who do well. $100 handshake. Get a little envelope or a little little what up after the game from a booster? Got some yeah, if you've hand. seen the movie The Program, I think you get it. You're getting that envelope. you, you got to take your money where you can get it. Exactly. Exactly. Up first for me, Mello, I want to call out this dude, Joe Burrow, at quarterback. Um, I know it was Georgia Southern, which I don't want to run. I don't want to get ahead of myself because, yes, it was Georgia Southern. Next week, it'll be Texas. It could be different for Joe Burrow. But week one, you don't play who's in front of you. Joe Burrow was unstoppable against this team. 23 to 27, 278 yards, five touchdowns. Joe Burrow gets a Benjamin from me. Yeah, and that's scary coming into this game week that we have here. But I agree with you. Joe Burrow definitely deserved it. Uh, another guy that sucks, but he's getting a $100 handshake from us is Jalen Hurts. Uh, the Oklahoma quarterback came in, and I think there were a lot of doubters about what he could do, and a lot of people saying Lincoln Riley can't make this guy into a true quarterback. Looks like he did. 332 passing yards, three touchdowns, 176 rushing yards, and three touchdowns. That's six total if you're keeping track. He looked absolutely amazing in this game. And yes, it's Houston, but you got to give this man some money because he went out there and earned it. 
He did, man. And good for him. You know, like a, a guy who was the ultimate team player last year. Mm-hmm. Tua got hurt. He came in, played very, very well. And just handled this with class. You know, he never got in the media, never complained. Yeah, even at Oklahoma, they tried to say that there was quarterback competition. Bullshit. And you never heard anything <laughs> from him about it. And just the post-game interview about we still have a lot of stuff that we can correct and things like that. It, it really feels like he's almost playing with a chip on his shoulder, but doing it in the right way. And that's something we haven't seen a lot of Oklahoma quarterbacks do in the past. So I'm, as much Shots as it fired. struggles... As I'm struggling to do this, I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts. I hope they lose to Texas, but I'm really pulling for this guy as a player. Just the way that he's handled everything in his career to winning that job as a freshman and everyone hating it because they wanted Blake Barnett or someone else. And then losing the job to Tua, just everything that he's done, I feel like he's done it the correct way. So you got to give props to him and the way he's playing on the field is not too bad either. He's an exceptional leader. Uh, And I know I'm Mm -hmm. not the first person to say that. It's not, this isn't breaking news, but as a leader, Jalen Hurts is way, way up there. I'm going to go against my better judgment and give another $100 handshake to an Oklahoma player because we talked about him earlier. Kenneth Murray had the best defensive performance I saw in week one. 13 total tackles, two and a half for a loss. He had half a sack, one pass defense. And like you said, Melo, his ability to shatter and shut down Derek King is not something that anyone did last year. So for him to come out and do it week one, and then from a scouting standpoint, this is a big guy. He's 6'2". He's listed at 245. For him to show the agility, the sideline to sideline speed to, and stop start skills to be able to run with a guy like Derek King was really, really impressive. So Kenneth Murray, not only stock up for the draft, but he's getting some cash. Yeah, me. You look at the linebackers that have been drafted recently and what the NFL wants. Devin White and Devin Bush last year, I think they fit that same mold of very speedy linebackers that can cover space, cover ground in the running game, and also probably drop back in the passing game. So I agree with you, Kenneth Murray, and I'm going to throw another linebacker at you. Isaiah Simmons looks like the most versatile defensive player I have ever seen. I have never seen one guy line up in so many different places and be so effective. I've never seen a guy go from slot corner to edge rusher in the same series. He's absolutely (laughs) amazing. Six foot four, 230 pounds. Uh, he is going first round. I think that he's going to contend for linebacker one. I think this is actually turning out to be a pretty good linebacker class. Kenneth Murray, a little bit better than what we thought. Isaiah Simmons showing that he can actually be a true linebacker or hell, if you want him to, he'll play safety or corner, whatever you want out of him. And then when Dylan Moses does get healthy, this is going to be an, an impressive group. So 10 tackles for Isaiah Simmons this week. I really think that he led this Clemson defense and they're going to be just as good as they were last year. Yeah, he's top 20 on my board and might be might be moving up. Uh, he is very, very impressive. Last one for me, again, a guy we talked about earlier, but Justin Fields, that hot start, 18-25, 234 yards, four touchdowns. He also did it on the ground, 61 yards and another TD. So five TDs in his first ever game for Ohio State. Um, you and I were doing radio together, and you said it. This, is like, this was like the Maurice Claret game, mm-hmm. you know, where he just broke out and you knew things were going to be different for Ohio State. Uh, a little bit better test than FAU coming down the pike for them, but... You got to you got to throw some acknowledgments and some recognition to Justin Fields for this one. Right. And I love that pick, too. I'm going to go with a guy that everybody knows, but I don't think they saw him play because it was Friday night. Uh, The Wisconsin Badgers took on South Florida and South Florida is a good defensive team led by coach Charlie Strong. You know, he's always got a good defense there. But Jonathan Taylor had a very good game. 16 carries, 135 yards and two touchdowns. But he also got involved in the passing game. I know it was only two catches, but it's 
took both of them to the house for a touchdown. I like that they're giving him this opportunity to show that he can catch the ball because they've had a million running backs come through there and they run the same thing every time. But now they're actually giving Jonathan Taylor a chance to show that he can catch the ball. Hopefully he can hold on to it this year, not have the fumbling struggles, because I really think those are the only two question marks. Can he catch the ball? Can he hold on to it? It looks like he can catch the ball. So he's getting a $100 handshake from me. He did cut his fumbles down from eight to four. Freshman Cut him in half. Right. He gets two this year. He's good to go. I think the only question for him might just be wear and tear because, my God, they give him the ball a lot. Yeah, because it sure as hell is not speed. Definitely. No, it is not speed and it is not power. All right, Mo, when we come back, it's draft on draft time, and then we are out of here. It is draft on draft time. And one more reminder, guys, we are just days away from tailgate tour kicking off in Austin, Texas from 2.30 to 5 ish 530 we will be at pluckers the greatest wing bar in texas probably in the entire southern half of the country yeah i feel confident in that actually in the entire southern half of the country we'll be there for three hours on the patio it's the rio grand uh location come hang out with us me mellow connor austin will be there handing out swag doing the podcast you can watch a live recording you can get involved with your draft on draft questions and that's where we're going to go now to draft on draft at cheeseburger asked that's an interesting one it really is okay is this oklahoma defense truly improved or does it just out talent houston i think it is both now defense normally uh, i feel like it's ahead of the offense early in the season so if your defense struggles week one that's not great because defense is more reactionary offense is more uh, about chemistry and timing defense is like hey go fucking tackle that guy Mm -hmm. so i think it's encouraging to see Oklahoma's defense played this well, but it's this Houston team was left with a pretty empty cupboard. And I, I don't, Derek King's a good player, but this is not a great offense. And Dana Holgerson's going to need time to get his dudes in place, even bringing in a lot of Juco guys uh, or a lot of bounce back guys or a lot of transfers. It's just going to take some time. So I don't want to overreact, but we should acknowledge a strong performance. Yeah, and I do. I think it was both. I think the defense looked better, but they're still maybe not great. Uh, and their d- new defensive coordinator, I think he did a good job of getting pressure on Derek King and then having a plan with him with Kenneth Murray. And bringing in a new system with these guys might take a little bit of time. So it's improved, but it still didn't look great against Houston. No, absolutely didn't. All right. These two questions are linked together. Our guys, Tyler Fornis and Richard Royal. Tyler wants to know, after yesterday's loss to Auburn, how much of the loss is on Herbert and how much is on the play calling? It felt to me like a poor game plan from Mario Cristobal. Now, Richard Royal adds in, that sore knee, in quotes, from Herbert on fourth and one might well cause him to drop in the draft. Does this add to the he's soft narrative? Uh, and I don't think so. I, I think that he's helped kind of overtake the he's soft thing. And we might have started that narrative. I'm not even real sure if we did or not. But I we spread it. I don't think that you can put this on Justin Herbert. I think the defense has a lot to do with it. And like we talked about earlier, the the play calling just got a little timid. They they changed it up much like the Falcons did in the Super Bowl. There's just something going on there where they weren't striking as much as they should have. Uh, they were up big early. They probably should have kept things rolling. They probably should have done more on defense, trying to get after Bo Nix and pressure the young freshman. But instead, they allowed this team to come back. And before they knew it, it was too late. And Bo Nix was throwing a touchdown late in the fourth quarter. I was really disappointed by the Oregon defense. I, that, right. Especially watching the game, you know, watching the offense clicking early. and was like, can the defense do and they got to Bo Nix a little bit early, you know, kind of rattled him. I think he threw two picks. After that, it was like, fuck, guys, like. Do something. 
They couldn't. They could not tackle that running back. Twenty eight. Like they could not tackle him. Yeah. So I mean, it was just so disappointing to watch Oregon. And I, I said this earlier to watch Oregon just kind of sh- shrink away from contact like they always do. And you can blame it on the receivers being hurt. The receivers don't play defense, and the defense lost this game for Oregon. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred. And I don't worry about the Herbert Soft thing so much. It's not the the stuff I've heard more recently. It's not that he's like soft, like afraid to take a hit. It's like he's kind of like standoffish, you know. Like maybe it's like he's right. a little bit of a mama's boy, and like that's okay. So am I. You know, it's fine. Um, Jeremy Godden, next question. What team and or player exceeded, met, or did not meet your expectations over week one of college football? So, to summarize, who surprised you in week one? Uh, For me, I'm going to go with the negative aspect of it. I really had high hopes for Mizzou this year, and I thought that it wasn't just my Missouri bias of living close to them. I really liked the players that they brought in with Kelly Bryant, who they had coming back, and they just went out and shit the bed against Wyoming. They let Wyoming run the ball right down their throat. You have to play in the SEC. How do you think that's going to work out for you? So the Mizzou team that I thought was going to have a really good season this year, I might have to go back and revisit that one because you cannot let Wyoming run the ball all over you and then expect to compete in the SEC that has some pretty good teams. They're going to run into Georgia eventually, and that might get very ugly if they can't find a way to stop the run. Yeah, my biggest uh, disappointment was Nebraska, and, and they did beat South Alabama, but my God, they let them hang around. Um, it was 35-21, and it, it was closer than that. Adrian Martinez looked awful. 13-22 mm-hmm. for a buck seventy eighty through a pick. Did Had no impact as a runner uh, either. So it's just like I didn't see it. I really thought Notre Dame would take that next step this year. I, I will say this happened last year as well. Like They came out and were super slow to start last year, but y'all, it's year two. Like mm-hmm. you should not be struggling as much as you are. Nebraska was the one where, like, I mean, I was just not happy with how they looked. Um, I thought Iowa was a little slow to get things going against Miami of Ohio. Um, that was probably another one where it was like, God, like, guys, you are supposed to be better than this, right? And then there's obviously like Tennessee losing was a big one. Tennessee Ole and Florida losing. State just fucking suck. Florida I don't want to hear I, yeah. about these two schools again until you fire your coaches or get somebody that can play football. And it might not be that much longer. <laughs> like, stop getting in our mentions. Like, oh, Florida State has, like, Cam Akers had a good run, and people are, like, you know, asking me to admit I was wrong about Florida State. You got beat by Boise State. And you let them come back on you. This is a Boise State team that planned on playing somewhere else at a different time, and they were able to go on the road at Florida State, move the game to Tallahassee at 11 yes. a.m., and able to win this game. I know that they struggled early, but they came back with a true freshman at quarterback. He looked good. He looked very good, but you cannot let that happen if you are Florida State. If you are an SEC or sorry, ACC team and you're expecting to contend in that conference, you cannot let a true freshman come in here and beat you the way that Boise did. And yeah, I kind of predicted that game was going to go that way, but you can't allow it. So Florida State, sorry, that's a that's a big disappointment. That's a big loss for you I guys. swear to God, I don't want to hear a fucking word from Florida State and Tennessee fans. You are irrelevant right now. It yeah. doesn't matter how many recruits you sign. It doesn't matter how cool your mascot is or how long you've been playing football. You are irrelevant to me now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a hard time filling up both those stadiums because that's what they used to do um, in the late 90s, which is about the last time that both teams were relevant. So tough, tough week one for those. I remember these two playing for a national championship. 20 years ago. As I say, it was like right when I got out of high school. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for making me feel old. One last one. Oh, and also, Tennessee lost to Georgia State. They didn't play Boise State. It's not like they played a team that that's, you know yeah. upset some folks. They played a directional Georgia school, basically. A team that won two games last year. Came into Neyland Stadium and won. Not a good look. I would burn that stadium. Not great, ground. Bob. One great look, though, our guy Mac Brown. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you watched this game. He almost lost it for him, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were 10 seconds left in this game, and he should have punted on fourth down, and they took a knee at midfield. If it weren't for uh, Jake Bentley being Jake Bentley, South Carolina almost won this game. They, he, they've replaced him as starter. I Already? saw that today. Yeah, they, yeah nope, I mean, the Jake sense. Bentley hype guy. And everybody, I don't know if this is one of the tweets I fired off yesterday, but do you remember last year everyone asking why we weren't talking about Jake Bentley? Because he sucks. Now everybody knows why we weren't. Because he's not good. He's not. He, Same reason we don't talk about so Nate Stanley. So many mistakes Or KJ Costello. I get the guys were big recruits and they play at like blue blood schools, but mm-hmm. they're just not that good. So we're not going to talk about them. Nick Saban gif right there. Not going to happen. All right. Last question. Patrick Chamberlain, Mr. Perfect Attendance himself. And he sent in three. Number one, whose much anticipated transfer debut was more impressive? Justin Fields or Jacob Eason? I have to say Justin Fields because I, I haven't watched all of the Washington game yet. I tried to watch like a condensed version, version, but I haven't. Uh, I know that he threw four touchdowns and he was able to roll against Eastern Washington, but I still have to go back and, and watch the game, not just the highlights and what happened. I know that Aaron Fuller absolutely went off with that one-handed catch in the end zone. One of the best I've ever seen. And it sounds like a lot of people watching the game were very impressed by Jacob Eason. I just, I haven't got to see it yet. I, I watched, uh, it was like, uh, I had it, on uh, my phone while I was trying to watch other games. So mm-hmm. I won't speak to all 36 throws that he made, but I, I yeah, like you said, the, the numbers look good. I, that will be what I do this week, like especially Tuesday. Let's go back and try to get caught up on some of these games. But the talent is there for Eason. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm with you. Justin Fields definitely takes home the hardware for me. Question number two, which team had the most disappointing first week relative to their preseason hype? I just went off about Florida State and Tennessee. We dogged Nebraska a little bit. And Mizzou. Mizzou. Those would be the teams that, I, you know, looking back, you're like, God, they just, they really did not look very good. I don't know that there were any other surprises. I mean, USC almost lost to Fresno State, but we mm-hmm. called that one. Um, so that's not a and huge then their surprise. quarterback getting hurt. I think that's going to be a really rough season for USC now. Is that confirmed? Yeah, ACL and meniscus. He's oh done God. for the year. Yeah, so that'll do it. I don't know that there was a top 25 team that I was like, Ah, they they just looked terrible. You and know, it like, is it's still early to tell. I, I will I will say Vanderbilt disappointed me because I thought that that offense would do better against a Georgia defense that lost a lot of guys. Now they Georgia ran the ball very well. Swift went for like 150 yards almost. But we've been talking about this trio of Pinkney, Limskin, and. Keyshawn Vaughn for Vaughn, a very long yeah. time. And then with Riley Neal coming in at quarterback, I really thought that this game now maybe not even would be close, but that they would at least put up some points. And they struggled to do that against Georgia, who is a good team, but lost a lot defensively. I'm just going to say Florida State again. Might as well. I mean, people were mad at us when we did the ACC preview. Yeah, because we didn't talk about them enough. Yeah, well, fuck you guys. Uh, Penn State scored 79. Yeah, it was against Idaho, was but yeah. It doesn't matter. They scored 79. That was amazing. Number three, which NFL cut surprised you the most? 
I don't know that there was one that really for me it is Jakai Polite. Shocked third me. round I guess pick getting cut. Him getting cut was pretty surprising just because he was a third round pick and a guy that we thought might even go in the first round during the draft. So that is surprising that before he even gets to take a snap in a regular season game that he's already gone. Yeah. All right, buddy. That is our show. We will be back Wednesday morning. Connor and I uh, probably breaking down more of the NFL stuff as we get into our season flow. But uh, don't forget, subscribe to this puppy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your shows, because football season's back. We're back and we're going to be breaking it down just like this three times a week. Mm-hmm.